Success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. But today we have He's Invincible. I have with me today such an honor to introduce you to Steve Sims. Go for stupid. What would you achieve if you weren't afraid of being laughed at? In the age of gotcha culture, people are terrified to do anything that might be laughed at. Steve Sims is the exact opposite. In Go For Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals, Steve teaches you how to ignore what everyone else thinks and go for big, stupid, ridiculous goals. From organizing a private dinner in front of Michelangelo's David to securing a tour of SpaceX led by Elon Musk himself, his accomplishments have always start with the same question, how far can I take this? What would make this a stupid achievement? Steve examines famously stupid goals in history, the key habits of successful people, and lessons from his own career to help you let go of your fear and get out of your own way. If you do something amazing, you will be ridiculed until you are revered. Stop overthinking and go for ridiculous, stupid goals. Once you go for stupid, you open the door to the life you always dreamed about. Oh my gosh, Steve Sims, welcome to She's Invincible. And thank you for being He's Invincible with us today. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Oh, my! this is like one of those moments, right? <laughs> As a podcaster, you're always thinking like, who would I just die to have? And here we are. So I just love um, how we met through your book, Blue Fishing. This is your uh, first book, right? So yeah. is this, this is the first one that you wrote. Excellent, excellent book. I love it. I absolutely want to encourage our readers to grab a copy. Uh, it has Amazing. I was like reading this book thinking, why am I reading this book called Blue Fishing? And then when you go through the book, you're like, oh, thank God I read the book about blue fishing. (laughs) So, so great to meet you. I love, love, love what you're doing. I love every, I love your thought process. I love your guts and your courage and all that it takes to live the life that you're living and creating for others. I'm amazed. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I don't think I put too much thought behind the title of the book for the first one. I actually, uh, I was at a book signing uh, a few years ago down in San Diego, and this lady just stumbled upon me uh, when I was at this event. And uh, she's like, is this about fishing? And I went, okay. Um, and she's like, oh, can I have two then? And I was like, 
All right. And I gave her two books. And then the following day I spoke on stage and she came running up to me and she said, I would have never have grabbed your book had I not thought about it being about fishing. But now hearing you on stage and knowing what it's really about, I'm I'm thrilled that I got the book because we only had a few books that we were allowing to, to, to give out. So it's a funny little name. I love it. And honestly, it's such a fun read. I read the whole book in a day. I sat by the pool and I actually took a picture. I was like, this is what I'm doing today. And it was amazing. So let's jump in. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? Um, so I'm an activated five-year-old. And I always have been. And as I grew up, left school at the age of 15, onto my dad's building site, I was tattooed with the idea of, is this it? You know, is is this my life? Um, And I went through some very early, very very aggravated years of um, resentment and, and curiosity, just trying to find out where I fit in, because let's be blunt. As entrepreneurs, we don't fit in. And then one day we realize we were never built to. That's right. And it's a revelation. So I spent a lot of the time just trying to find out you know, where I was going to be. But the one thing I did know was that I had no money. You know, that was very apparent to me. I'd be in the pub, I could have two beers, as long as they were cheap beers, <laughs> and that would be it. And I had to decide, do I put you know, gas in a motorcycle or do I have a couple of beers? It was always that. And I just thought being held back by money, and a lot of us are, we are dictated, defined, routed by our financial resources. Well, what if the financial resources weren't the direction, weren't the dictator, weren't the oppressor? So I literally went out trying to do loads of jobs that would surround myself with affluent people because there's that curious, aggravated little kid. I wanted to go, hey, how come you got money and I haven't? <laughs> and how come you're rich and I'm not? And how come you're wealthy and I'm not? And believe it or not, I used to ask people those questions. <laughs> now, for any of you that are listening to this and maybe not watching the screen, I'm not Brad Pitt. So I'm 245 pound of biker ugly. So when I come up in your face and I go, hey, how come you got money and I haven't? That, that's not the smoothest line in the world, but that's what I started asking people. Um, I got fired a lot, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, I never had much, I never had much, you know, smoothness um, and refinement. Uh, but eventually I ended up in what I thought was my low point as a doorman of a nightclub. Now, entrepreneurs, we're kind of freakily dysfunctional <laughs> and we see things differently. So I'm on the nightclub door thinking I've got no money. I now need to make money. My job description was to punch people. And (laughs) on the door were two other meatheads. Now, their focus of the night was to get as little blood as possible on their white shirt and maybe take one of the girlies home. That was their job. Me, we look at things different. And I remember Sean Stevenson coined it up best. He said, we always look at it and we look at, was this done to me or was it done for me? And I remember being on the door pretty much in the first night and suddenly getting a crash course on human interaction, human psychology, body language. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. 
I now get to see all of the I'm this is my education. So I always say I've got a a doctorate, an MBA, and a, and a PhD, but I got it from the door of a club. <laughs> and I can see those people that were truly affluent, how they handled themselves. And then those people that had a little bit of money or the middle management, how they looked after themselves and how the people with no money pretended they have. And I got to see it. And then I started communicating with them. And I realized in order for me to get into a conversation with them, I had to give them something. Okay. Today, far too many people, they assume the person will do something. Hey, can you do this for me? Can, can you introduce me to Richard Branson? Can you work with me? They ask you to look after them before they brought anything to the party. <laughs> so I used to go along to these people and I'd be like, hey, how you doing? What are you doing next week? And I inadvertently became the, the oracle, the, the Google of nightlife. And I'd be like, oh, there's a new club opening up. Do you want me to see if I can get you in? And by helping them with their nightlife entertainment, I now had their attention that I could go, hey, where do you work? Oh, I work down there. That's funny. I'm down there in two days' time. Should we grab a coffee? I wouldn't be down there, but I would just make sure I was down there. <laughs> and then I'd grab my coffee, and then they'd be like, so what do you do? Oh, I do real estate investing. How did you get into that? Why do you do that? How does that work? What are the what are the cycles like? How does it work? How can I get in at a minute? And I would just blast them like a very horrible podcast, <laughs> um, and it just escalated. And, of course, I started off getting people into nightclubs and restaurants that were you know fully booked for the night. All of a sudden, I'm getting them into the Paris Fashion Week, you know, the the um, the Oscar parties, the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week. I can say arrogantly, with full commitment and confidence, there's not a major event in the planet, sporting, fashion, or music award, or film award show, in the world, from Macau to LA, that I haven't been involved in over 25 years. Um, Forbes called me the real life wizard of Oz and I was even called the most connected guy on the planet that no one's ever heard of. So it went from getting you into clubs to getting you drum lessons with Guns N' Roses, walking down the white carpet of Elton John's Oscar party to, uh, I had a client even asked me to get him married in the Vatican by the Pope. So I was the guy that uh, pulled all these things together. Oh my gosh. These are wild, just wild. And I know I enjoyed so many of those stories from the early times, uh, which I just, I just love, 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 love. I have so many questions about them. So tell us what makes you invincible. <laughs> May I tell you a little story? Sure. It was, I think, around 2008, and I had moved over from Palm Beach to um, Hollywood. Um, and uh, I wasn't happy about either of those locations, to be honest with you. But I was having a dinner party, and a couple of my friends um, are in the Marvel movies, okay? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a guy and a girl, and I won't give their names away. It's not necessary. Sure. And at the dinner party, there was only about... And about 12, 14 of us at this at my house for this dinner party. And they were just starting off. They're actually quite famous now, but they were just starting off in these Marvel movies. And we'd had a few drinks going around. And uh, the, the fella turned around and he went, right, 
I'm playing whatever he was playing in the Marvel. I'm going to be a superhero. If you were a superhero, what would your superpower be? And he went, let's start with, and he picked the person on the left. Now, I was on his two o'clock, so I knew I had about eight people before it got to me. So you sit there in this table thinking, oh, my God, I've got to think of something intelligent. I want to sit there and go, uh, with the flick of a wrist, I can remove famine. Um, uh, with, with the glance of an eye, I can remove stupidity. You know, you want to come up with something that makes you say, and I had it, and I think it was the famine one, and then about the third person went, oh, I'd like to remove famine, and I was like, shit, that was my one. So I'm quickly trying to think of it. It gets around to me, and they're like, Sims, you're up. What would your superhero power be? And I'm like, oh, well, that's a good question, because I really had nothing, really had nothing. And all of a sudden, Claire, my wife, she, she grabs me on the arm. She's like, babe, I got this. There's nothing better than your wife saying what your superpower is. So I went, okay, go ahead. She went, he has a superpower. And they all went, great, Claire, what is it? And he went, it's the superpower of ignorance. <laughs> and the whole table went quiet and just started to kind of like side glance each other. I'm thinking, damn, I'm getting a divorce. You know, my, my wife's just called me ignorant. And she sensed this, this change in temperature on the room. And she went, no, no, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. How many times has Steve done something and you've gone, how the hell did he do that? You know, how many times has he done something that's just utterly blown you away, knowing him as a biker bricklayer from East London, and now he's with Elon Musk or Sorrell John. How many times has that happened? They all went, pretty much loads of times. And they went, do you know how he gets that? Because he's ignorant to the way it going any other way than the way he's visioned it. That ignorance helps him not hear the noise, not hear the naysayers, not even hear a no. He's like a bull in a china shop. When he's locked and loaded to work with the Vatican, Elton, Sir Richard Branson, he goes and it happens. He said, so that ignorance is golden. So his superpower is ignorance. So that's what it is. That's what it is. I love that. And it's so true because yeah. when you're able to be that way and you're not letting those things in, it doesn't like, you know, mess up your mind or, or shade your vision. Right. So it's like you have a clear vision and you're not allowing anything to get in the way of that. And you go your way. And I think that's amazing. And it explains, cause like, as I was reading your book, I'm thinking, how in the hell did this guy do this? Some of the things you've done. And like, that makes so much sense is like, you know, the rest of us are worrying about every, whatever other people think or say, or what if it doesn't work out? Well, you don't do that. Let's elaborate on that. For the listeners yeah. here and the viewers, let's help them out rather than me yeah. spilling on about how nice I am. Um, <laughs> how many times as entrepreneurs, and let's be blunt, we're all aggravated. Um, aggravated entrepreneurs build solutions to their problems, and then they sell those solutions to other people. That's business 101. So we all want better. If we didn't want better, we wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Okay, so that's the first thing. But how many times are you sitting around a table, drinking a glass of wine, 
having a coffee, maybe at a party or something, and you sit there and you go, hey, I was working on this this idea and this concept, and I'm thinking that if I do this and I implement that, I could scale it off into that, and the impact would be this. And you start telling people your vision, and they look at you, and their eyes glaze over, and they look at you like a deer in headlights, and they're like, my God, she's gone crazy. And you read this, you notice it, and then what do you do? You just go, oh, please ignore me. Someone must have spiked my coffee. Ah, I'm, I don't know what I was saying. And we dilute our dreams, don't we? We dumb we them do. down. Yeah. Why should we? We need to get around people that when we say those kind of things, you get a round of applause, round of applause for having a stupid goal, and then the next statement is not the naysayers, but it's those going, hey, I don't know how I can help you with this goal, but I'm telling you now, I'll drive you to where you need to go to get it. You know, That's right. I'll handle the printer. Hey, rely on, I'll help you any way I can be part of your goal. That's not the world today. So we know that table's wrong, but how often is that table in your head? How often do you think, hey, I'm going to go for that? And then that little thing in your head goes, don't be silly. Don't don't risk this. Don't chance that. Stay where you are. Stay stay stable. Stay in your rut. Play in your lane. God, I hate those things. Play in your sandpit. You know, know your lane. Stick to your lane. All of those. They were in. Those were sayings invented by oppressive, boring people that we shouldn't pay attention to. Oh my but, but sadly, most of the dep- most of the naysaying is actually from your head. Mm, you are preaching it right there. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. And you know, our topic is uh, today is the ability to communicate. And I feel like we have just done that so well. So let's go, let's sh- shift into that part. And, okay. and I love what you're saying because we we allow other people to talk uh, us out of our dreams and we and then it, we talk ourselves out because of their so everything you said is 100 so let's talk about this ability to communicate you had mentioned uh before we we hit record you know about how the world the problem in the world today right is that people have don't have the ability to communicate it's poor yeah. let's go there it's got worse um prior to uh prior to 2019 we weren't brilliant you know, we weren't amazing at it, you know, because quite simply, someone would have a baby rather than phone up your mates and get together for a barbecue and celebrate the the, the new person in the house. You'd post it on Facebook and be really upset if you didn't get a million likes by 5 p.m. You know, it just we, we've just become really bad at actually communicating and connecting. Um, and it's very, very sad. And then COVID came across. And COVID suddenly stopped our ability from getting out, but didn't stop our ability from using this thing called a phone, Zoom, whatever you like. And all of a sudden, all the people out there are going, oh, my God, I can't communicate with my friends. I can't get together with them. I was Zooming, FaceTiming, phoning. I was doing Zoom um, uh, happy hours. Every Friday night, we'd have about 200 people on a Zoom just tell very inappropriate jokes and get drunk for one hour every Friday. And it was great. But I noticed that people were also in a society where we were getting used to barking orders. Now, what's what's the number one store that you purchase from at the moment? Amazon. 
Do you have a relationship with them? No. But you send them a lot of money. A lot. So, so just imagine tomorrow you think, hey, I want to change the toilet roll. Phone up Amazon and go, hey, I'd like to try a different toilet roll. Which one should I use? You know full well that there's no one you can call and you're never going to get an answer to that. That's a transactional platform. Now, if you look at the other transactional platforms out there, Alexa, Siri. You know, I said to my son the other day, hey, turn the air conditioning down in the house. He walked past the Nest thermostat, picked up his phone and went, hey, Alexa, turn the air conditioning down to 69. He walked past it. We're getting used to barking orders rather than literally going up to people and going, hey, how are you doing? Now, COVID amplified our inability to communicate and then during covid we got frustrated and we started protesting we started marching we started looking for things to be angry at and then something terrible happened toxicity got into our society and these two things came out the cancel culture and the gotcha society now think about it Before 2019, we weren't very good at communicating. During COVID, we're now scared to say anything in case someone grabs a snippet of it and puts it up on Instagram and makes us look stupid because that's the gotcha society. And they want to go back in time to 1973 when you dressed up as a penguin at a fancy dress party and how inappropriate and, and just rude to the Penguin Society, I'm now going to cancel your career. That's the kind of things that went on. In COVID, we got really bad at it. And as the classic, if you don't use the muscle, you lose it. Yes. Today's world is moving more into AI and transactional. But as people, we really haven't progressed that much from needing to be in a pack animal situation. People listen to this podcast because they love you. They love your tone of voice. You're crystal clear. You're very easy to understand. You're impossible to misunderstand, and it relates to them. And they want to be part of that pack. We're pack animals, and we're losing the ability to connect. And it's devastating. And it's, it's, it is a form of cancer. It's got to be. You've got to change it. I challenge everyone today. Have a conversation with someone new, anyone, your barista, someone serving you a sandwich. Hey, what are you doing today? How long have you been in this job? Just start a conversation. It'll be tough, like going to the gym on the first day, but get used to having conversations again. Oh, I love this so much. And you know what's really funny as you're saying this, I'm thinking like even before the pandemic, we would all be in a room together and we'd still all be looking at our phones when we could be together. Like it's so weird to go, you travel, right? So when you go into the airport, everybody is sitting in a chair waiting to board their flight and every one of them is like this, looking at their phone. Nobody's talking to each other, even if they know each other, if they're together, like it's everyone is in their own world. And I love what you're saying here because we need to emerge into this place where we're communicating better. Well, it gets it gets worse because I actually <laughs> I coach uh, companies and entrepreneurs, and one of the things that I do is I do the cappuccino test. Okay, uh- I actually talk about it in my book, and you're uh, as I talk about it, you'll go, do you know that's right. So listen to this. I take a group of people down to the local coffee shop and I instruct them, order your coffee and then strike up a conversation with the person that ordered the coffee in front of you. Okay? Because this is what happens. 
you get to the till, you order your kappa, fappa, latte, whatever it is, and then you step to the side and, God forbid, you could stand in silence for three seconds, you pull your phone out, don't you? <laughs> yes. Everyone pulls their phone out. Now, this is where it gets really special. Listen and pay attention to this. They never pull their phone out and start looking at it with one hand. They look at it with two hands and they have it in front of their face and they start working on it. Now, if I was to drop the phone from that body position, I've now got two fists up. So psychologically, I'm actually in a wary, restrictive, do not come to me stance because both of my elbows are in and my fists are up. I just happen to be holding a phone. So when you strike up a conversation with someone in that incredibly defensive position, it's tough. They look at you like a mugger, but you've got to get through that. You've got to break them down. Like, oh, you know, bear in mind, I'm a big, ugly guy. So when I come over and I start, there was one example when I did this in a, in a coffee shop, the girl in front of me, and I hated this, 23-year-old beautiful woman. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm going to look like a dirty old pervert here. <laughs> and so, but I had to show the guys and the ladies in this group what you did. And I just happened to have this young girl there, you know? So <laughs> I literally stood next to her. She's in that defensive position. I just went, hey, I love your shoes. That's an interesting color. I said, where'd you get the shoes from? And she looks down at her feet as though she can't remember what shoes she put on that morning, all right? And she's still guarded, and she went, I can't recall. Shut me off. Shut me down. Head back in there. And I went, oh, I don't mean to pry, uh, and I'm not trying to chat you up or anything. I said, but my wife bought a handbag, and she's trying to find a pair of shoes to match a handbag. That's the color. I said, but, you know, can, can you lift a heel? Just, can I see? I'm just trying to do a good thing for the home. She didn't want to help me out. There was a little girl to her right that saw me having a conversation about the shoes. She's now fixated on the shoes. I look at her and I went, that's a pretty color, isn't it? And she went, it is. I like that color. Now, the little girl is now interested. The young lady doesn't want to be, she doesn't mind being horrible to me. I'm big and ugly. But she doesn't want to be nasty to the little girl. So she's like, oh, thank you. And slowly, you saw her hands bring the phone down. And you know, she'll actually slip the foot out of her shoe. So she, she said, I'm sorry. Actually, it's so-and-so. And we ended up having a conversation. It's tough, but it's a muscle you have to use. I love that. Oh, my gosh. And you, you're so funny the way you tell the stories. That is so awesome. Oh, my gosh. Well, that is amazing. Great advice. I hope our listeners will follow and we'll find people in the coffee shop talking to each other again. Good. Yes, that's amazing. Okay, let's talk about your new book, Go for Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. It's fabulous. I absolutely love the color. I love the cover. I love everything about it. Let's tell our listeners what they can find. What are they going to learn in this book? Why they need to order this book? So anyone that you look up to, Anyone. It can be Michelle Obama. It can be uh, Oprah Winfrey. It can be Steve Jobs. It can be Elon Musk. It can be Larry Page. It can be anyone that you can think of. 
They did things through no fear of people laughing at them. They came up with stupid goals and went for them. And they focused on the vision, the growth. But today we're dictated and defined by other people's views. Now, when I was running the concierge firm and people would say, hey, I want I want front row tickets to a concert, we would literally sit around the office table and go, okay, what's the stupidest thing we can do with this request? How far can we take it? Let's go for ridiculous. I want to be laughed at. Now, because I was willing to be laughed at with my goals, I did close down museums for a dinner party. I did get piano lessons with famous people. I did get people on stage because I was willing to dare to go for stupid. So when COVID hit and we were all suddenly being consumed by this cancel culture and this gotcha society, I was like, hang on a minute. We need to start going for bigger goals. We need to go for stupid goals. So the book runs through different things that I've got up to. I've spoken with a lot of my friends in there, and so you've got lots of things in there from like Elton John, Elon Musk, and all these other great people in the planet that talk about how they view, how they look at goals, how they look at opportunities, how they train themselves to look at opportunities. And then it runs through the ability to communicate, define, brand, market, it's all tactical. Hopefully it'll make you smile just by the way I put it in my little stories. Yeah. But the whole point of the book is for you to read it and it to scare you. I want this book for you to read it and go, hang on a minute. I'm missing out on the simplest thing in the planet, the ability to communicate. And I want to be able to, because if I do this, this will happen. If I do that, that will happen. And that's the whole premise behind it. I wanted to, I want to get people to start going for stupid, audacious goals and then daring to achieve them. I love it. Well, there you go, guys. That's why you need to click the link in the show notes and order this book. It is available on October 18th. This is so great. Congratulations on your second you. amazing book. All right, so let's do this. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Oh, it's dead easy. I am at stevedsims.com. So there's you one M in uh, one M in Sims, D for dashing, stevedsims.com. <laughs> I love it, D for dashing. And so just click the link in the show notes and it will take you everywhere where you can find Steve, his books, and all the great things that he has going on right now in the world. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the Pod Power Hour, which is a virtual event that's gonna happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster, and you want to come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, we would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing their genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend. 
and it is on Zoom. So super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this. You now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. Steve, this has been amazing. On the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners we are going to bring them fierce entrepreneurs. We're going to share their expert zone of genius, which you have done so great here with us today. But we're not done because we also promised them that we're going to pull back the curtain. See, people look at you and they think you're so lucky. They don't know how hard you work. They don't know all the failures and the obstacles. They look at the success you enjoy today and they think, oh, he's a lucky guy. And so we'd love to encourage our listeners by pulling back the curtain and showing them the real journey, the truth, the authentic entrepreneur who journeyed their way, overcame the obstacles, failed forward, and now get to enjoy the success. See, everybody wants your success, but nobody wants to take the journey you took. Nobody wants to have to overcome the fears and summons the courage and and be ridiculous and stupid and go for the impossible. They don't want to do that. They just want the success. So we're going to jump in and tell a few stories about that messy middle part that we endured. I know, but we're first, the good news is we're going to start with the good. So share with us a story about the good or the greatest time of your, of your journey here. Oh, it was 37 years ago and it was this morning. Um, I met my wife when I was 17, she was 16 and that tiny little 110 pound, five foot five British lass has scared the shit out of me ever since. And I think, no, I know I wouldn't have achieved anything had I had not that, uh, that guiding light to be able to push prod challenge, um, and just invigorate me every now and then to go forward. So the fact that I can say that I met her years ago and I still had coffee with her this morning, that has to be my greatest. 
I love that. And I love how you uh, include her like and even she even called you ignorant and you still had coffee with her this morning. Right. <laughs> she <laughs> called me worse. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> I get it. But I, I do. And I love how you share stories about her and include her in this journey, even though it is your journey as far as the book and the stories and things like that. So I absolutely love that. So and her name is Claire. Yes. Yes. I love yeah. that. Okay. So my next question is about the bad. We'll save the ugly for last, but tell us a story about the bad part of the journey. Well, the bad has to be the instability. Um, when you start out, you really have no idea what's in front of you. And an entrepreneur leaves a stable job for an unstable life. Um, so it's that those Wednesday nights where you're, spanking all the credit cards to to pay payroll on Friday or to pay the rent or keep the lights on. It's when the employee leaves you and takes your database. It's when um, a client doesn't like what you're doing or doesn't want to pay, so they sue you. You know, it's all of those things. And you're very, very vulnerable when you are a, a, a young anything. And it's those moments of just swaying and bashed and getting hit. And I've often said, if you haven't been lied to, ridiculed, sued, ripped off, damn near bankrupt, maybe even bankrupt, then you're not an entrepreneur, you know? And if none of those things have happened to you, then wait, they will, because it's what happens. Because again, you're the, you're the ones outside of the box. You're the ones turning right when everyone turns left. You end up becoming a target and a focus to the people that don't understand where you work. So I would say the bad was definitely the, the instability. Yeah, that's that messy middle. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. And that's the part that a lot of people don't want to do, right? They no, want they the don't. success, but they'll quit in that, in that moment. They're not, yep. they're not willing to fight that battle and, and overcome the obstacles. And it's not only once. I could probably <laughs> say that it's, I, I don't know, maybe two or three times it's happened. Um, and then you start learning from it. And that's the beautiful thing. You suddenly start realizing you become empowered with what you can put up with. When you've got no money and you manage to pay everyone that month, you suddenly know how to handle the money. You can handle expectations. You learn how to communicate with your team and go, look, I can't pay you this week. And when two of them run away, you knew that you know that they were, you know, people just looking for the money and they weren't part of the team. So you learn different things. So it's a great deal of education in that messy middle. Yeah, I love that. All right. Now we got to go ugly. So tell us a story about the ugly part of the journey. Ooh. So for about eight years, I was working with the richest people in the planet, doing the most amazing things, riding around on a motorcycle, black T-shirt and jeans. And I had a deal in uh, Monaco with Ferrari. And you've got this in the book. You know this, this story. And I don't even know who it was, but I had spent eight years hanging around with wealthy, wealthy people that owned things like countries and this guy turned around to me and he went, you're going to Monaco looking like that. And I don't know why, but I listened to him. Now, bear in mind, he wasn't invited to the party. He wasn't even able to go to Monaco, let alone to the parties. And I'm listening to him. I literally pulled out all of my earrings. I started wearing tailor-made suits. I bought a Ferrari. I bought a watch. I bought all of these things to show my status in the world. And I went to the parties 
And I was at one of the yacht parties, and there was me, uh, and this was in 97, me, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone, who at the time were doing all the Rambo and Terminators. So these were the biggest, these were like the, the Brad Pitt and George Clooney of the time. These, these were the biggest A-list stars in action movies at that time. And I'm up against the bar with them, laughing and joking in my suit. And when I got back to Switzerland, I was living in Geneva at the time, I got the photographs back of that that night and I saw one of these photographs and rather than kind of like being a little bit kind of like, oh, look at me hanging around with these hobnobs, I went into a deep depression because I noticed it wasn't me in that picture. It was someone trying to look smoother than they were, you know, classier than they were, richer than they were. Yet all my life I'd ridden around on motorcycles. So... I literally drank myself stupid. My friends had to kick the door down and take me out to get me recovered. It was a very, very dark chapter of my life. But I came out of that and I said, I am never going to sell the biggest asset that I've got, which is me. This is me. You like it? Stick around. I'll look after you. You don't like it? Move on. We'll both be fine. I don't own a car. Although saying that, I've just ordered a Bronco, but only to carry motorcycle parts. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I ride around on motorcycles. I've got an appointment after this. My bike literally is out the front. I'm going to jump on the bike. I'm going to pull up, drop the helmet on the desk and see what I can do with the guy. So the bottom line of it is that was my dark time. I sold me, but that will never happen again. And I listened to people should never have got my attention. Oh my gosh. And I love what you said about like, you were the one invited to the party, right? And here's the guy who's not invited, but you know, listening. Yeah, you're listening to him. Oh my gosh. I that is such such a mic drop and it's such a message to the people. Don't listen to anybody who is not where you want to be, right? They're not yeah. further along. I mean, gosh, just you have to run your own race. And I see you're in your black t-shirt today, and you have your earrings back in your ears, and you yep. I'm sure you've got jeans on at the bottom of the screen, yep. and you're back to your normal self and living the best life. And I that just is such an amazing story. Thank Thank you so much for sharing that. So I just have a a few other little questions um, that are just for fun. So one of them is, uh, and this is just fun curiosity, is what would you say was your favorite thing that you pulled off of all these things that you have done, that you've written in the books, that you've, you know, the dumbest, ridiculous, craziest one, which one was your favorite of all? So funny enough, Being a guy that likes to just sit down with his family, drinking old-fashioned or ride around on motorcycles, I never had any aspirations to sit front row, courtside, backstage, on stage. I didn't care about any of this. It really was of no interest to me whatsoever. And one day I got a client that wanted to have a, a dining experience in Florence. Again, going with the go for stupid mentality, I actually managed to negotiate that they shut down the Academia de Galleria, which is the worldwide famous museum that houses Michelangelo's David, set up a table of six at the feet of David so that nine o'clock at night, my client could have a Italian meal by a top Italian chef with the most iconic statue in the planet. And then being the constant entrepreneur about how can we make this better, Um, I invited uh, a local singer to come in to serenade him while he was eating his main course pasta. It just happened to be Andrea Bocelli. So that 
that was so far from an East London, East London bricklayer biker, but that was so much fun. I had my own museum because we closed the museum down for five hours. My client was only there for an hour, but I got this entire museum for five hours with Andrea Bocelli. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. You know, I've never been to opera. I've been to opera since, actually, because I wanted to. I wanted to see if I liked it. And I did like one of them and I didn't like the other one. Um, but I, I, want, I was just happy that I tried something new, something that I never would have experienced before. And I'm very proud to say I'm a massive fan of Andrea Bocelli's uh, music now. Oh, my gosh. And would you say that creating these experiences for other people have increased your vision for experiences for yourself? No. Um, I do challenge myself, and it's the point of the challenge. Let, let, let me give you an example. Have you ever gone out shopping for a car, and in the car lot, there's like one car that is just a funny color? You know, you've never seen that color before. It could be yellow, green, blue, whatever. And you just see that car and you're like, oh, that's a funny color. When you're driving home down the highway, what's the only car color you can see on that highway? Yeah, that strange that, color, right? It's that strange color. That's because your mind at that moment got opened up to that color. Now, that's all you can see. So when I'm doing all of these amazing things for my clients, I'm opening up my mind to opportunity and what's possible, okay? Which yeah. is anything I want, basically. And so, of course, now when I'm out there and someone says, hey, should we do something? I'm like, let's do this. Because all I can see is opportunity. I can only see stupid goals now. Now, I don't always get them, but you imagine if you want to make $100,000 this year, don't go for 100. Go for 500 and fail and make 250. So you've really got really to position yourself to change how the way your head works. So I still don't want to sit front row at a fashion week. I still don't want to walk up a red carpet. But I love being able to challenge myself on what I can do. I love it. Love, love, love it. That is so, so great. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And of course, you mentioned the uh, the old fashioned, right? And I love that. And some of my friends and I did happy hours on Friday nights, too. I would have given anything to be in your room, though. <laughs> 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 with, with 200 of your friends, but we did that too. And that was super fun. So tell us about your old fashioned. Tell us, do you, do you know the recipe off the top of your head? Yeah, it's very simple. Tell I us. use a, I use a concoction syrup, usually by a um, bitter milk. Um, I like a good solid bourbon. I don't do rye. So I'll do a, a Maker's Mark 46 or a Buffalo Trace or a Bullet. Uh, it just has to be decent. Doesn't have to be top shelf, but decent. Never a red cocktail cherry, only ever a dark brandy cherry with a single stripe of uh, orange zest, wiped, wiped, wiped around the rim and then dropped in. Big ice cube. That's a big thing. You've got to make sure it's a single ice cube. You don't want to put a pile of ice in there. It ain't a slushy. <laughs> Well, this has been so much fun. So you guys, if you if your inner Steve D. Sims kicks in, make yourself an old fashioned, curl up and listen to this amazing episode. Get your book. Go for stupid. Click the link in the show notes and get that book as fast as you can. It can 
change your life and coming from, as Forbes puts it, the real life Wizard of Oz. Thank you so much, Steve, for being with us, for sharing all of your wisdom. Make sure you guys click the link so you can get to all the things and definitely the new book, but go back and while you're waiting and and just read Blue Fishing because it was amazing and it was so fun to read those stories and just imagine yourself. And I feel like reading it, it really helped me to have a bigger vision and a little more guts to, to what was possible. So any any time that I was thinking, you know, oh, that'd be so much fun, but this or but that, I thought, well, wait a minute, I think I can do that now. So I love that. So to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up. Just get back up. That's the first step. Tell them, Steve. Yeah, actually, my dad used to say to me, uh, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. I love it. There you go. Don't stay in the water, you guys. Get back up. You can do it. You can do anything. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.